Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, working to prepare the next generation of teachers, counselors, and educational leaders through online graduate degrees and hybrid doctoral programs. Details at education.olemiss.edu. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, October 10th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, students are speaking out as Mississippians await the governor's decision on the proposed state takeover of the Jackson Public School District. Find out their concerns. We believe the solution is to maintain local leadership with greater collaboration between JPS, MDE, local leaders, our communities, parents, and students to address the problems in our schools. Then, with crumbling roads and bridges threatening safety, a transportation commissioner shares insight on the state of Mississippi's infrastructure. In our StoryCorps segment, a conversation between mother and daughter about choosing the right career path. And in honor of Mental Health Awareness Day, hear from members of the new Mental Health Task Force as they offer support to those with mental illness. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. High school students in Mississippi's second largest school district say the state's plan to take over the system won't solve their problems. As representatives of students in Jackson Public Schools, we strongly believe that a state takeover is not the solution to improve our schools, nor is maintaining the status quo of just getting by as good enough as our schools have been operated for years. We believe the solution is to maintain local leadership with greater collaboration between JPS, MDE, local leaders, our communities, parents, and students to address the problems in our schools. That's Dante Moore, a senior at Callaway High School in the Jackson Public School District. He was one of a group of student ambassadors who presented their opinions during a news conference yesterday. The ambassadors represented all seven Jackson Public High Schools. Last month, the State Board of Education voted to take over JPS. According to an 18-month audit by the Mississippi Department of Education, the problems include violations in 24 of 32 standards, including poor class instruction, lack of discipline, and lax testing security. Zion Blunt is a senior at Murrah High School. She tells our Desiree Frazier about the student's voice was not part of the process. We're like um, ambassadors for our high school. So each high school that we attend, we are ambassadors for them and we advocate for them, for our peers. What do you want to get across to people today? We do not approve of the um, MD takeover, the state takeover of JPS schools, but instead want collaboration between JPS and MD. What do you see as some of the concerns that students have? For schools, um, some of the concerns is making sure we get a quality education and making sure that what we're learning in schools will be useful and help us, guide us in whatever career path we would choose after high school. Do you feel like that's happening now? JPS haven't been really giving us the quality education that we need, and I don't think it's only on JPS terms. I feel like Mississippi as a state have really let us down. In that regard, would it then be better for the state to come in and take over the district and reestablish some things? I can see how a lot of people feel that having the state take over is just what's best for the students, but I don't think that's the right answer 
before. I don't think what we're doing now is the answer either, but taking over completely and shutting down any chance to have a voice isn't what's right either. So I think a happy medium or something that we can really like, you know, lean back on the state and have them come in and ask us what we need, just really that collaboration will really what this state, or at least JPS district, really needs. Thank you so much. Thank you. Callaway senior Dante Moore tells our Desiree Frazier he thinks the school district needs improvement. If I had to choose, I would say I'm not a supporter of the takeover. Um, I believe that with the system we have now and the board we have now, we can get it done. We can. And, and I like to think that sometimes certain circumstances come about, they, they give a push and they give an eye-opener. So I feel that this whole uh, fear of the state taking over is positive in itself because it gives us a light of, okay, we need to stop prolonging um, progress and actually start taking the necessary steps to actually progress this district. I'm hopeful that um, it does get signed off that the state, that it gets taken over. And I'm also hopeful that with all this, ensuing all this, we can learn to come together, take on the necessary actions that's needed to pro- progress our, um, our district and build future leaders and have a better tomorrow. Is this disappointing to you? How do you feel about this? It helps me realize that some things are worth fighting for, and, and even though some consequences come behind a fight, if you feel in your heart that the fight is worth it, you'll be okay. And so I feel, I feel that my school, my district, my peers are, are all worth fighting for. This needs to happen. Us, us speaking out finally and getting our voices heard, I think it needs to happen. So. And what do you say to students who say, yeah, I think it might be good for uh, the state to take over JPS? Everybody's entitled to their own opinion, but I feel that I don't really see how people who, who don't face the day-to-day challenges that we do, who don't all live in Jackson, who don't all see everything we see can come down and give input on what they feel progressed when really they know nothing about it. All they know is what a paper says we have infractions on. They're not really there to, to see it, they're not really there to live it, feel it, any of it. So they're going based on what papers say. And the inspections weren't day-to-day. They didn't come every day of the week. And so I feel if they did, if they were to actually come into school like we do on a day-to-day for those amount of hours, then they'd understand. They wouldn't be so much of on the outside looking in. And for the students who, who, who say they, they, they support the takeover, I look at it in this light. The takeover is supposed to progress the district. But being that some students feel it's hard enough to, 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 to maintain a, a sense of mind to stay in school now and, and graduate and, and, and go forth in life, I feel this, this takeover, if it's, if it's not collaboratively and it, if it doesn't involve us or giving us, giving us a voice, then I feel like ultimately it'll clear out the schoolhouses and fill up the jailhouses. Well, thank you so much for speaking to us, Dante. Thank you. Thank you. The governor is waiting for the latest school accountability ratings before making a decision on the plan. The results will be released October 19th. Coming up, with crumbling roads and bridges threatening safety, a transportation commissioner shares insight on the state of Mississippi's infrastructure. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell, the host of Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Each week, Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, Associate Professor of Finance at Mississippi College, joins me and answers questions about credit, 
investing, saving for retirement, and all things finance. Also, we invite you to call in and share your successes in navigating the personal finance challenges that we all face. Money Talks, Tuesday mornings at 9 on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi Transportation Commissioner Dick Hall has some harsh words for legislators who have resisted funding a major overhaul of the state's roads and bridges in recent years. He spoke at a Capitol Press Forum sponsored by Mississippi State University's Stennis Institute. Commissioner Hall says the Department of Transportation would need billions of dollars to repair dangerous bridges and crumbling roads. An issue, he says, comes down to politics. I fail to understand why some folks don't realize that this is an important economic issue. That's why I would debate with anyone that the most significant economic development event in this state in the last half century was the 1987 four-lane program. We constructed a highway system that was judged to be number one in the Mid-South and number six in the United States. We had industries which never before had considered the state of Mississippi as a possibility began to look at us. Without that updated system of highways, there would be no Nissan, no Toyota, no Severstall, or hundreds of other businesses that have since decided to locate in Mississippi. But to allow this multi-billion dollar investment that we made in highways to deteriorate to the level we have is just plain dumb. When we passed that program, and I was a a member of the legislation when we did it, as many of you have heard me say, um, the the governor vetoed the bill, and we overrode his veto by one vote, and I tell everybody that was my vote. Uh, and uh, I'm, act, I'm, I'm quite quite proud of that, um, but it is it, it, it has been and it's proven to be uh, a, an economic issue. But it is a safety issue, it's a convenience issue, it's an ec- an economic issue. But to some, it is is simply a political issue. Now, Commissioner Hall also says past improvements have to be maintained for continued growth. If you're going to compete. In this world economy, in this world economy, you have absolutely got to have a transportation system that other folks are going to, going to want to be part of. I thought Trent Lott put it about as good as you could put it when he spoke to the chamber, chamber, Metro Chamber of Commerce luncheon here a few years ago. And he said when he was a senator, and he said, if they can't get here, they ain't coming. And, that, and that's about as bluntly as you can put it. And if they can't get here on a good highway, if you can't get your materials in, your raw materials in here and your finished product out on a four-lane highway or railroad, we haven't talked about the brown water and blue water ports we have here now that Commissioner Cheney deals with quite a bit. We've got the Mississippi River down one side, ten times down the other, and the Mississippi Gulf Coast, uh, Gulf of Mexico, is on our southern border, and landlocked Iowa exports more than we do. Coming up, a conversation between mother and daughter about choosing the right career path in our story course segment. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. 
As an MPB listener, you probably know of Radio Reading Service, our free closed-circuit network for the print impaired. But did you know that means Radio Reading Service isn't only for the visually impaired and that MPB provides the special receiver you need for the service? Call 601-432-6301 to see if you qualify for MPB's Radio Reading Service. 601-432-6301. There's so much more to know. Pearl Burke was 98 years old when she visited a StoryCorps booth during the mobile tour stop in Mississippi. She shared several stories with her daughter Sheila, including this anecdote. Pearl was about to study geology and engineering in college in the years before World War II. She says her first job was taking care of a geological museum exhibit for which she was paid 39 cents an hour. I made up my mind. I was going to be a geologist, and I was going to study engineering. And uh, so my professor decided, well, they'd give me a little help. And so they gave me a, a job, but keeping up the um, and you'd call it a museum, but it was just a collection of uh, evidence that the glacier, how many years ago, as a several, maybe a couple of thousand years ago, had passed through that area, and the evidence was. Everywhere around. Right. So they gave me a job uh, in a, a laboratory and to keep up the exhibits. And that was not a very hard job because all I had to do was check on the exhibits and make sure they were properly labeled. And for that, I think I got 39 cents an hour for working. Wow. Well, you know, you told me, too, that a job you really liked, you got a job as a waitress at Howard Johnson's. Oh, in the the summertime, I worked in my hometown, and uh, I worked... A job that I got was a waitress in the second restaurant that Howard Johnson had opened, and that was just in South Nashville. And you met the real Howard Johnson, right? He would come around in his car? Howard Johnson had (laughs) very little money himself, and so he had a touring car, and he brought his kids with him, Uh and they advertised that they liked their daddy's ice cream. You graduated from college in In 1939. Right, and that's right before the Second World War Mm -hmm. began. Yeah. Virtually everyone, all the men in your class went to war. Most of the uh-huh. boys were in ROTC. Right. 
and they went off to war. Right. And you got a job at the Watertown Arsenal? <laughs> well, they were advertising, showing pictures on the screens that said, we want you. Uh-huh. And they would show a picture of Uncle Sam and a woman. Well, where did you meet my father? Well, I was li- living in a house at Harvard Square, and his roommate said that his girlfriend had a girlfriend who just didn't have a boyfriend and didn't go out, and so your father thought he couldn't lose anything by seeing that girlfriend, so he agreed, well, he would go out on a blind date, and so that's how I met your father. Right. You know, I love the story that you tell, that when my father said, well, I'm going to get my orders, and if I get orders to go to the Pacific, Pacific. we will not get married. Yeah. And then you all went together for him to get his orders. And, and he, he got his orders, and he came back and looked at me, and he said, it's the Pacific. Well, let's get married just the same. To hear more of our conversations from the StoryCorps mobile tour, go to mpbonline.org. The StoryCorps mobile tour visited Mississippi through a partnership with the Mississippi Humanities Council, the MPB Foundation, and Mississippi Public Broadcasting. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. With budget cuts to the State Department of Mental Health, many groups serving the mentally ill population are seeking new ways to improve service and support. A new Mississippi Mental Health Task Force assembled by the Attorney General is banding together to take take on issues and concerns. With today's celebration of World Mental Health Day, some members of the 31 agency groups are raising awareness and mobilizing efforts. The group is comprised of doctors, advocates, judges, and law enforcement. Tamika Tobias is executive director of Central Mississippi's National Alliance on Mental Health Office. She tells us there are hundreds of types of mental illness. Psychiatrists have over 450 definitions of mental illness. Anxiety and depression uh, is your most common. What do you offer people with mental health issues? At NAMI, we offer education courses uh, for those individuals that are actually living with a mental illness and their family members. We offer support groups as well. We're also advocates, and uh, we talk to legislators and things of that nature. What do you tell people who might be suffering from a mental illness? What's the next step? We reassure them that they're not alone and that we, uh, along with other community members, are here to assist you in the progress. And we encourage those individuals to seek treatment from the local mental health center or their general practitioner or local psychiatrist or therapist. How do you deal with the stigma of mental illness? Because I would imagine a lot of people aren't getting diagnosed because... It's a scary proposition for people. It is. It's just simply a matter of talking about mental illness now and educating others as to what a mental illness is, and so they will not be ashamed or they will not seek the treatment help that's needed. 
Today is World Mental Health Day. Does that mean anything to bring awareness of mental health to the community? It's observed October the 10th every year, and the overall objective raising awareness, mental health issues around the world, mobilizing efforts to support mental health, and we're asking people to talk about mental health. We're asking people to tell their story about mental health and just be a champion for those individuals that are not speaking about mental health and are afraid to do so. Is NAMI part of this new task force? We are. We are part of the task force. We're at the table. Now we're all trying to work together to not only talk about mental illness, but also come up with different ways to address some of the issues so those individuals can receive the help and the treatment that's needed here in Mississippi. So what is your angle, so to speak? What's the priority for you? We will serve as the voice for those individuals that do not have a voice. We will go to our, those individuals that are actually living with a mental illness and their family members and some of the different concerns that they have and you normally don't hear about. We'll serve as the advocates for those individuals. We will be at the table and just discuss those things to put a voice to some of the different concerns that those individuals have. Tamika Tobias is the executive director of NAMI Mississippi, which is National Alliance on Mental Illness. Tamika, thank you so much. Thank you. Mississippi Attorney General Jim Hood says the Mental Health Task Force will serve families who have loved ones with mental health challenges and better handle mental health emergencies. My concern is making it easier for parents to get a child committed, uh, whether even they're adult or not, if they've got a drug and alcohol or a mental health issue, or significant other or, or wife or husband to get committed. So we're talking about uniformity of the fees and of the forms so that it's much easier for community mental health workers to go to each county and it'll all be the same. And then we're trying to make it easier so that you don't have to have a lawyer, you know, to go uh, file any of these forms. So it's much easier. And uh, for indigents, the filing fees would be waived. The second concern of mine is helping law enforcement. Of course, we've been doing training all over the state for the last three years on de-escalation. And a component of de-escalating a violent situation, it began with our training in, in the area of domestic violence situations. But then we moved it over into the area of mental health. So when a law enforcement officer encounters someone that appears to have a mental health issue, we have trained them to help de-escalate the situation and stabilize the person. And the second component we've added to that now is so that we, we're training the officers and the community mental health people together and so the officers have a cell number for somebody in the in their county of a community mental health worker so that they can get the person stabilized and, and not have an officer involved shooting and get them in the hands directly to the mental health people rather than taking them to jail and then they have a criminal charge on them. And then the county's paying that cost. The third aspect, and it's really a, it's a subcomponent of, of getting people uh, diverted to uh, treatment, is the funding. And so uh, the governor's office had people there were, were hoping Medicaid dollars to get the Medicaid dollars to pay uh, for that mental health so that the community mental health people, uh, when, when they get a lot more of these patients after all of this training, they'll have funding to treat them. And so that takes a load off of the supervisors, the counties and the sheriff's uh, department budget, because once you know a mental health person is taken to a jail where they shouldn't be, they're inevitably going to have to go to the hospital. And, you know, there will be additional medical costs to the county. So we're hoping that we get the Medicaid aspect worked out so that it's much more a smoother process. Many of these patients are, are Medicaid eligible. The mental health budget has been 
has been cut rather significantly, and I know people have lost their jobs in that department. So even if Medicaid dollars were to pay for this, there isn't necessarily the support to move them through the system and where they're best located. That's correct. I mean, these cuts have been devastating to mental health. So we're just trying to make do with what we have. This task force wasn't set up to come up with proposals for funding for the legislature. I mean, I've given them all kind of options and given them money, and they just absolutely refuse. So, uh, you know, we're just trying to deal with, with what we have. Issues being addressed by the new Mississippi Mental Health Task Force. We've been speaking with Attorney General Jim Hood. Thank you, General Hood, very much. Thank you, Karen. World Mental Health Day is observed every year on October 10th. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs. At 9 o'clock, Money Talks. At 10, it's in legal terms. At 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. And I hope you'll join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, working to prepare the next generation of teachers, counselors, and educational leaders through online graduate degrees and hybrid doctoral programs. Details at education.olemiss.edu.